This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Jay White, here with Jeremy Thompson, owner of Computer Doctors and Phone Surgeons in Hattiesburg, Wilts Contraire, information technology expert at Newcore Steel and IT instructor at Holmes Community College, is out this week. Coming up on today's program, Jeremy and I will have a, a little bit of a, a recap of the news from this week's E3 conference. And uh, if you don't know what uh, E3 stands for or what the E3 conference is, we'll We'll uh, give you an informal introduction here uh, momentarily. Google has unveiled Stadia, its new uh, very ambitious gaming streaming service. Uh, Jeremy's going to have a review of Ring's floodlight cam versus the doorbell cam, and I'm intrigued about that. Something I've kind of wanted to do for a long time, but haven't necessarily stepped into yet. So, uh, Jeremy, you may convince me one way or the other. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Could Uber be looking into flying cars as uh, i guess this makes me the old man down the road because i'm petrified by that thought but intrigued at the same time Uh, a country you might not expect is going to be headed to the moon that's not uh, cheap Uh, and of course your tech problems questions comments and much more this is uh, everyday tech on mpb think radio you can call us the number is 877 mpb ring that's 1877 Six seven two seven four six four. We've been off a couple of weeks. I had kind of a house disaster that uh, preempted us one week. Uh, the week uh, before that, we had uh, some press conference from some stuff that was sideways in Washington. Could you imagine? And uh, so it's uh, good to be back, Jeremy. How are you, sir? Hey, Jay. I'm doing well, man. Just. Uh Enjoying the week, enjoying the weather, especially. So, I mean, you've been uh, you've been super busy uh, at the at the store, the shop there. Uh, is does the, does it pick up in the summer for you, or is it more like a holiday thing? How, how does your flow of business usually work? It actually, it varies a lot. Um, this time last year, we were pretty slammed. This time this year, it's it's about medium level of. of being busy, but it'll it'll pick up. Uh, June and July are are very odd months for business because a lot of people are going on vacation and such. So this is when I try to pick up a lot of uh, local projects if I can. Uh, start to whittle away at uh, a lot of uh, business owners' goals and things like that. And uh, this weekend, actually, I'm going to be covering the uh, Hub City Service Dogs 5K. So if nice. uh, anybody wants to come out and support a good cause, the Hub City Service Dogs are. Um, a company that uh, trains service dogs, and I've been doing their drone coverage. Uh, this will be my third year, and I just love to do it. I love seeing the dogs. I love supporting a good cause, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Where is that, where's that going to be and when on uh, this weekend? That's uh, 7 o'clock at Camper Park this Saturday in Excellent. Excellent, excellent. That's a that's a good deal. It's always nice to, uh, to be a part of something that uh, feeds into – um, you know, a really good service or something that's uh, a, a way to that that kind of feeds back into the general the general public and things like that. So that's absolutely that's really cool. Again, you can call us uh, with your tech questions this morning. Uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. So Jeremy E three. 
Um, for the folks who don't know, that stands for Electronic Entertainment Expo, and this thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger each year. For folks who don't know what E3 is, kind of gives a, a, the 10,000-foot the view of what E3 is and what it means to the, the technology industry. E3 is really not, as far as tech goes, it is for the gamers <laughs> and the hobbyists. Um, it is... It is the expo where they announce all the, if, if they have them in the works, uh, new video games, new consoles, new accessories, new add-ons to existing video games. There's there's a lot that they, they cram into, I don't even know how long it is. Is it a weekend? I, looking at it today, I think it's um, uh, three, maybe four days. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. So they cram a lot in there, and there's uh, there's quite a few announcements for this year uh microsoft has gone ahead and said that uh we will have our next console available holiday 2020 so that's pretty cool how about that so that's the next uh the next generation of the xbox i guess it's the xbox 2 yeah and so i mean i don't i don't, I don't know what name they're going to go for there uh <laughs> the xbox 720 or something like that yeah there you go yeah <laughs> uh, it's two full revolutions of xbox uh but um that's right Double the box. I, right. I've seen a lot of rumors floating about uh, the, the PlayStation 5. Some of this stuff has been not so uh, secretly leaked uh, into the media. So do you think, I mean, in announcing a console that's coming out in basically a year and a half from now, is this to kind of head some of that off and to kind of maybe undercut uh, PlayStation's building momentum toward their next generation uh, console? Well, they've also been uh, boiling some some things up themselves. They've been working with AMD, and there's been a lot of announcements because the new PlayStations are going to be in, uh, built on the Zen 2 architecture, which is uh, the processors that we're going to see released in about the next month here, uh, which are, are nothing short of uh, breathtaking, uh, amazing performance. So uh, to see this being integrated on a newer console means... Better games, better graphics. PlayStation is claiming that it's going to support 8K graphics and wow. ray tracing, which is uh, I, I am I can't wait to see this. I mean, uh, 8K being you know twice the 4K and 4K being four times the 1080p wow. got a little confusing. Yeah, but I don't really know. Why we need better than 4K? It's already just well. When you amazing. say Jeremy, when you say 8K, the first thing that pops into my mind is wow, and then I think, well, I mean, how much, how much closer to like real life can it be? You know, how I many, how much clearer resolution can we find? Honestly, I, I'm curious about that too, because as we continue to scale mm-hmm. up this resolution and everybody goes towards streaming uh, gaming content. We're going to have a real problem in the pipes if we don't upgrade our infrastructure because streaming 4K is is no light matter. That that takes a lot of a lot of uh, bandwidth in order to do it without buffering and having issues. And I'm just curious to see how this is all going to play out. Well, now that you mentioned that, I'd not thought of it this way, but man, that is going to seriously limit the number of platforms. Now you'll have producers who can use those platforms, and that'll be numerous, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, being able to control the amount of bandwidth that you would need for, I mean, you know, how many users you want to have, that plays into 
another big announcement this week was Google announcing Stadia, uh, which uh-huh. is uh, its new gaming streaming platform. And what's interesting about this, uh, and it's something that I, of course, like I'm going to say this about everything we talk about on every show. This is not really something I'd looked at from this vantage point. But the the hardware side, the heavy lifting is on Google's end. Uh, and so basically you just you get the end user experience completely, which kind of precludes you having to continue to update computers and and your hardware and things like that. At least that's the way that I interpreted it. So it was interesting to me that Google was the first one to uh, really be on the forefront of streaming gaming. And, again, we've got some pretty ambitious claims here. Uh, streaming at 4K at 60 frames per second, that, that's impressive. I, I, I'm, I, I've already signed up for the pre-order for Stadia, and it comes out uh, Ooh, this really? year in November. So I am, I'm excited to test that out. So, uh, excellent. I, well, we'll get a first-hand, uh, a first-hand account from you there. Uh, maybe, we can get, maybe we can get a live stream that we can upload uh, to our page there. So do that. Uh, Stadia, uh, I'll, I'll get into some more of the details there, and, and we can talk a little bit more about what will be going on at E3. But as always, with Everyday Tech, we are encouraging you to call us with your uh, tech problems, questions, comments, anything like that. And you could call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. And we will start today with uh, Adam, who is with us from Hattiesburg. Adam, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. What's going on, man? Well, you guys got me inspired this morning uh, just talking about infrastructure and building out you know, high-speed stuff. I'm curious about your thoughts on virtual reality. Uh, I'm curious about Jeremy's thoughts as well. The only partner that I know in Hattiesburg is Benedict Day School, but you guys do you guys know anybody else who's doing virtual reality, and what do you think the impact will be on gaming and more broadly um, maybe the Internet and, and, and business in general? So uh, you said there a VR partner here in Hattiesburg. Uh, can, can you explain that a little clearer? I don't, I don't quite understand. Well, I, you know, I, the, the only, the only uh, VR lab that I am aware of in the Pine Belt is at Benedict day schoolers being put in at Benedict Day School, but I was curious. I know Jackson has a lab. I was curious what else is happening in VR in Mississippi, and what you guys think more broadly, what the impact of virtual reality will be as you guys are talking about, you know, Stadia and what Google is doing with streaming and the infrastructure that Mississippi is trying to put in in terms of fiber. I was just curious what you thought the impact of VR will be more broadly. Well, you know, honestly, when I've been looking at VR, I've been seeing, uh, I mean, there's a, a lot of hardware that's required, a, a lot of, you get, you got to have a pretty beefy setup, so it's still going to be a niche thing. There's only going to be certain people that are interested in it. In fact, I've even tried, you know, VR on several different headsets myself, and I mean, it's fun, but it gets to this point where it's like, I find this more cumbersome than I do enjoyable. Uh, but when you talk about VR in business, um, I don't really know a lot about VR applications in business. I've looked more into the AR applications, like the uh, the Microsoft. Uh, oh, what is it called? Uh, their their augmented reality uh, setup, which is it, it's kind of like VR and HoloLens. AR combined. Yeah, the Hololens. That's it. They're putting out the Hololens too, which 
I've seen uh, some some videos on what the capability of that is, and it's it's nothing short of incredible because it's more like the the movie like. Uh, uh, you ever see Minority Report, you know, where he's got the screens up in front of him and all that? It's got that kind of a feel to it where wow. you'll have an interface in your environment and you see it with the glasses on, but you'll actually be interacting with the world around you. And with the HoloLens, what it will do is it will actually scan your environment and it will put things like, like say you want to play a game It'll and it it's gonna do something coming out of your wall or whatever. It'll scan your wall and it'll start showing you stuff coming at you. And I mean, it it looks incredible. I have not gotten hands on with it, so I'm only looking at it from a bird's eye view. But it looks amazing. And as far as applications in business go, uh, sky's the limit. Sure, I've tried both the Hololens and the Magic Leap. I know that there's a lab in Jackson that has that. Um, but I know in terms of Hattiesburg. Um, Benedict Day School is doing a lot with uh, with VR and education. I think I'm just curious with your thoughts. I think it will change how we learn. If you can, you know, if you can travel to, if you're looking at the Northern Lights, and instead of trying to fly to Norway, you can actually travel to the Northern Lights and see it immersively. I think that's a game changer for for the educational system. I agree. It's just that VR is still. It's still, rough, it's still rough around the edges, and it still requires so much hardware. Once we can take all that capability and put in something that doesn't have to have any wires attached to it, then we're talking about some real-world application. And as far as being used in the classroom, that's a lot of wires that a lot of kids could trip over when somebody's got to go to the bathroom or something. So I think we're going to have to go a little more compact, a little more wireless before we really start seeing that widespread in our schools but uh, again uh, amazing applications I, i'm i'm just sitting here watching well you know in in terms of its application to schools of course you know you're going to have some districts right off the bat that can't afford something like that that's going to preclude probably a, an overwhelming majority of your school districts actually well and then, it's kind of like with laptops in school you know we had like a cart that came around and you know there, there was like 30 laptops for the whole school so it'll be like Something that just rotates from classroom to classroom, I suppose. But even uh, now, you know, they use mostly iPads. They don't have laptops anymore. So we're getting more compact, and eventually it will probably be a a helmet or something that they put on. And, all right, class, here's your teacher. Right. Uh, The thing is that I'm sure there are going to be, you know, private, parochial, independent schools, whatever you want to call them, that will be willing to kind of – I guess test the water and and jump in and that that the financing of it won't be an issue but for most public school systems not all but most it's probably going to be specifically here in Mississippi um it's probably going to be cost prohibitive until this becomes a more wide scale accessible technology Adam great question though thanks for starting us off this morning Thank you guys All right uh, you can call us up with your tech problems questions, comments, you can do that at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Could Uber be looking into flying cars? And there's a country that's going to be headed to the moon, and it might not be a country that you would expect would be even in the race. But once you think about it, it kind of makes sense. This is Everyday Tech. We'll be back. This is MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I tell you what, that disclaimer, you know it's serious because there's no music with it. So, so serious. Right. When you see, when you hear no joke. Right. When you hear something with, with no music, it's real time now. Now, here's what happens in case we're wrong about something. <laughs> As uh, DJ Java told me right before we came back in, this is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We'd love to talk to you today about your tech questions, comments, problems, whatever it is that you have. We'd love to talk to you. The number is one eight seven seven MPB Ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Coming up in our next segment, Jeremy. Um, interestingly, uh, you told me that uh, you've been uh, kind of testing out, and you've got uh, kind of a, a comparison of Ring's floodlight cam to the doorbell cam. So I'm interested to hear about that. All right. So uh, if any listeners remember a couple Black Fridays ago, I got a ring doorbell, just a regular ring doorbell, uh, and I put it on my house and gave some accounts of it. Uh, The one that I had, I was not able to wire into my doorbell because my doorbell at the time was so old. So I had to, about every four months or so, I had to take the doorbell off and I had to recharge it and then put it back up there. Well, I was always really pretty happy with my ring doorbell. I mean, it, it definitely let me know when somebody stepped up on my porch. Uh, the motion detection was so good that it usually let me know when a car was driving by my house. So overall performance of it was really good. Uh, the quality was not as great, but again, it was the cheapest doorbell that they had. So quality is always going to suffer a little bit on the cheapest model. Well, uh, for Father's Day, uh, they lowered the prices on the floodlight, and I was like, you know what? I'm ready to, to bump it up from the doorbell. So the floodlight is uh, a lot different than the doorbell in the idea that it just wires directly into an existing lighting uh, fixture. You have to have a junction box already attached, or you have to set one up in order to attach the floodlight to it. Uh, but it was very simple to install. Uh, just make sure that you ground your connection and you know twist off your wires just like you're at putting in a light bulb or anything like that. Uh, well, not screwing it in, but putting in a light fixture. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was really, it was, it was pretty straightforward. And um, when I was putting it up, I actually put it up outside my shop here where I have a bit of an awning. And as I was putting it up, I'm looking at this awning going, Oh, I did not think about this. This might get in the way of the camera. And so here I am thinking, okay, I'm an idiot. I have installed a camera right in front of an awning. What is it going to see? Well, I decided to, you know, go ahead and just follow through since I'd already had it wired up and everything. May as well see how bad it is. So I hooked it up, and surprisingly, the awning doesn't even get in the way. And I can still see everything, and the quality is impressive. So I am very pleased with the ring floodlight, and now that it is always on. I don't have to worry about recharging it. I just have to make sure nobody flips off the light switch. There you go. So the the doorbell is, in your opinion, now you said you got in on like the ground floor in terms of like cost, uh, which equates to the ground floor in terms of quality. Absolutely. Uh, is, it, is it worth it for somebody who's kind of on the fence about whether or not to do it? If they buy, you know, one of the cheaper versions, is it going to turn them off to the whole thing? Or, or what's your thought about that? 
I think that the quality of the uh, the lowest tier doorbell, which is probably about to be discontinued because uh, it's a couple of years old now, um, it's decent and it will let you see what is going on. But I certainly didn't mind the upgrade in quality. But as far as just an average user, just somebody wanting to know who's on my doorstep, is it UPS, is it somebody trying to look in my windows, it will be perfectly fine for that. All right. So for someone who has never really dug into this, what all, how all... How old does this go about? Where does the camera send the video to? How can you access it? And, uh, I mean, how does it let you know what's going on? Okay, so surveillance these days, at least mainstream surveillance, has all gone cloud-based. So the doorbell itself is useless if you don't have an Internet connection. So once you set up your doorbell, uh, you open up the app, you uh, connect it to the doorbell, you scan a little barcode on the back of it there, and then it sets it up on your Wi-Fi, and then it connects it to uh, the Ring service. And then from there, it's connected to the app, and then you just do everything with the doorbell through the app. Uh, one other thing I want to mention is that the, uh, the price for um, the paid surveillance uh, for the lower tier version, which will just let you know when there's motion on your doorstep and uh, so forth, I think it gives you 30 days of footage stored. It might be 60 Sorry, I'm not. I'm not. I don't have the figures in front of me, but it's it's a decent amount for thirty dollars a year. Um, of all the the different systems that I've played with, and I've played with the Nest, the Arlo, and the Ring. The Ring is the most affordable one of the three. Okay, so uh, which of those that you've played with? What's your recommendation? Honestly, I got to give it to Ring, based on price and quality and simplicity. Ring gets it. Uh, whenever it lets me know that there is motion outside, I can tap on that notification on my phone, and boom, I can see it right in front of me. Whenever I got notification from Arlo, I could tap on it, and I'd have to sit there and wait for the app to load, and then I have to wait for the footage to load, and it would give me just a little clip, and then that's it. It was just... Arlo seemed to be the most frustrating of the three. Yeah. Though it was versatile in the sense that it's also got a rechargeable battery and, you know, it can be put up outside and so forth. It just, I found it to be more cumbersome because it was just slower in response. Now, the uh, the Google Nest is pretty decent. The quality is great, but the cost is just obscene. <laughs> it's, it's $10 per month per camera unless they change something, which I don't think they have, but that that blew me away. Ten dollars a month per camera? That's that's getting up there in price. Right. It, 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 depending on how many cameras you've got, you know, a lot of people have eight cameras. That's eighty dollars a month. That's almost a thousand dollars a year just for your surveillance. And that's not including that's, the initial the initial purchase of the, the the product, right? That's just to sustain the the coverage at your at your location. I guess it depends on how important that is to you. I guess maybe. You know, business owners, if you've got, uh, if you have a perimeter that's uh, big enough that you need to, to keep covered somehow or another, then, you know, maybe it would be worth it for you. But, yeah, I don't know. If I you... really, I can't recommend any of these. Like, if you have multiple, like, let's say you ha you need more than four cameras, I would go with a different system. I would either go with a Ubiquity or one of the systems that's wired in through Ethernet. Um, it's just going to be more reliable, and it's also going to be more cost-effective because with a system like that, your footage is stored on site, 
and you can have it hooked up to a battery backup and all kinds of things like that. Uh, you can have your cameras hooked up to a battery backup, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that your cameras won't go out from time to time due to internet outages or other issues. So if you want round-the-clock surveillance, some, some wired-in system on a battery backup is my recommendation. And the battery thing is interesting because, you know, I have a house built in 1978, so I'm sure that the doorbell is is not of <laughs> the proper technology, although it may be, I don't know. Uh, but uh, you, you said what, you get at least a couple of months out of each charge. So, I mean, that's not a big deal. I mean, you just got to set no, aside I, time to do it every now and then. Right. It, it just depends on how busy the street or the location that you put the camera is, uh, how busy it is and how many times the motion sensors get activated. Sure, and also yeah. what motion settings you have on it, because you can tell it to be less sensitive. That way it doesn't alert you every time you know, a tree blows or, or, or a, you know, something moves, but is not something that you're interested in seeing. So turning down those settings will also help you conserve the battery life. But in most cases, I got about four or five months out of the ring before I had to recharge it. So even the rechargeable doorbell was pretty apt when it came to uh, reliability and coverage. All right. That's uh, interesting. Uh, Rings floodlight cam versus the doorbell cam. Uh, interesting stuff right there. I'm going to have to uh, eventually... Uh, make the plunge, but I've been saying that for like two years. So, just that, just remember, if you like the floodlight, you have to make sure that you have a junction box because it doesn't just mount to the side of your house. There's no other. It has to be a junction box that it goes on. Gotcha. So it has to be in. Has to be. Uh, what am I trying to say here? It has to be integrated into your electrical system in your house. Well, it, it's right, and it's it's mainly because a junction box is rigged to allow water to drain out of it when it rains and whatnot. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you don't want your doorbell or your your floodlight getting wet. So it, it's got good gaskets and everything on it. It's got uh, it it seems like very high quality uh, uh, contact between the two points, and it doesn't look like anything's going to get in there. Uh, but you definitely want something secure like that to mount it to, and it, it's required. I mean, I'm sure you could rig something up, but you want a junction box. All right, when we come back, Uber is talking about flying cars, and we'll get into that. And a new country is talking about going to the moon. And it's, it might not be the country or a country that you would have expected to be in the space race. Is there really a space race anymore? I don't really know. All right, that is uh, coming up. Uh, this is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be back. We'll be back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. Everyday Tech, MPB Think Radio with Jeremy Thompson. I am Jay White. Wilts Contreras is out this week. We're glad to have you. Call us up with your tech questions, comments, problems. And uh, we, and by we, I mean Jeremy, will try to uh, troubleshoot those, and I will watch free of charge. <laughs> and you can call us. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four 
1-800-636-8664. Jeremy, uh, you uh, are a guy who uh, not just embraces but enjoys technology. I would like to think that I am to a certain extent the same thing, although I am a father of four, and I did mention in the last segment that I own a 41-year-old home. Um, Uber has said it will use Australia's second largest city, Melbourne, as the first international test site for the group's planned flying taxi service. Before we dig any deeper into that, with any kind of detail, what do you think about that? Flying taxis. Flying Ubers. Uh, it's about time. Oh, okay. Right? Well, that's We've been hearing about flying cars for a while, so let's do this thing, all right? <laughs> yes. Back to the Future lied to us. We've right. already passed that time. In, it, like That is history now, 2018 is. We got the fly. We got to get on the flying cars. So I'm with Uber. They they see the future here. This is cool. Let's do it. Oh, that's interesting. I I'd mentioned on autocorrect last week or a couple of weeks ago that I'd actually passed uh, driving between Jackson and Dallas. I'd passed somebody who had uh, the uh, AMC DeLorean on a trailer. Uh, oh, that's which was awesome. Pretty interesting, right there. I just gawked at it while we passed them. It was awkward, but anyway, uh, Uber. <laughs> Uh, the U.S. ride-sharing firm had previously chosen Dubai as the first test site outside the United States for its Uber Air service, but reopened its request for proposals last month after launch delays. Uh, Uber said Tuesday it will begin test flights of the pilotless aircraft in Melbourne and U.S. cities Dallas and L.A., in 2020 before commercial operations begin in 2023. So that's interesting. They have uh, an end goal in mind, and they've given themselves three years to kind of work out the kinks. What do you think about that? Dallas and L.A. too. Dallas, uh, well, look, (laughs) there are plenty of cities in the United States that have traffic issues, but Dallas and Los Angeles have to rank way up high on that list. You you said pilotless? Pilotless aircraft. Okay, I'm, a, I, I'm a little less eager now. <laughs> I'm just, just going to go ahead and throw it out there. Pilotless aircraft. Okay. Uh, we haven't even gotten pilotless driving vehicles yet. So, I mean, I guess it's less dangerous in the air, but still, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, something's going to happen somewhere sometime, but that's inevitable. I think that's uh, the thing. You just touched on it, Jeremy. Of uh, this innovation will work eventually, but you have to work the kinks out, right? And who wants Absolutely. to be part of the kink working out system when you're in a flying car that is unmanned, except for you, this, riding shotgun? This just in, Uber's looking for guinea pigs in their pilotless vehicle. That is it. Be the first to embrace the future, Not, or right. possibly something else, but be the first. <laughs> Now, depending on where you live in Dallas, you might just do it anyway, because right. uh, it's a coin flip on uh, taking those chances on your life. But uh, <laughs> so uh, the, the quote here is Australian governments have adopted a forward looking approach to ride sharing and future transport technology. That's uh, according to the regional general manager for Uber in Australia, New Zealand and North Asia. This coupled with Melbourne's unique demographic and uh, geospatial factors and uh, culture of innovation technology makes Melbourne the perfect third launch city for Uber Air. The test flights will transport passengers from one of seven Westfield shopping centers in Melbourne to the city's main international airport. 
Uh, the 17-kilometer journey begins from the central business district to the airport. It, expect, it is expected take, to take words. It is expected to take 10 minutes by air compared with the 25-minute ride it usually takes by car. We need this for Highway 49 in the Jackson metropolitan area. <laughs> that 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 area is a disaster. Flying it, Uber, please. I will I will fund it myself. I don't even know how. I'll rob every bank. <laughs> but man, if we could just fly right over Highway 49 as it goes through, well, basically every city. I don't know how the two largest metropolitan areas in Mississippi are not connected by an interstate. That's a whole different show. But anyway, so what do you <laughs> what do you think about that? So it as opposed to it just being like cars on streets on a map. You know, where you got this huge grid laid out and you've got a lot of potential for intersections and collisions and things like that. This looks like it might be be more like a subway ish setup uh, where, you know, you, you'll have a very spatial set out and routes that will be specifically designed to where things like this will be at a minimum, I'm guessing. Uh, my main concern is just uh, with outsiders that are not adhering to uh, laws of air traffic control, which will probably have to change and become more strict in order to allow something like this to make sure that we take the anomalies out. I guess really what I'm talking about is like drone hobbyists and things that are just sort of yeah. flying about wherever they want. Uh, a drone flying into a, a aircraft uh, is quite dangerous, uh, you know, given the speed that the aircraft will be going as well as the initial velocity of the drone itself could cause some serious damage. So I'm, I'm definitely... Curious to see what they're going to tweak in order to uh, put a stop to that, because that is that is definitely the only real rampant threat I could think about besides, you know, birds or something flying by. But I, I certainly hope that uh, <laughs> it'll be able to detect birds flying by. So, all right. So f for folks who are listening, what are the best places? What would be the best applications of Uber Air in Mississippi? I happen to mention Highway 49 through Rankin County. Um uh, Beach Boulevard, Hardy Street uh, in Hattiesburg, um, Goodman Road in South Haven. Let me know. What, what do you think? Uh, give us a call. What would be the best applications of Uber Air, a thing where you could hop in a car and skip right over on the ground traffic? Thank you very much. one mpb ring That's one 672 7464. Those are the couple I thought of. Beach Boulevard on the coast, Hardy Street in Hattiesburg, Goodman Road in South Haven. Uh, there, are Again, hand, there are a handful in the Jackson metro area, but 49 in, R in Rankin County would be my number one selection. Well, when these things come up, there's also the question of, well, what is it going to cost to save me this much time? Is the, the cost to time ratio really effective for that, most people? That's a great point. You're saving 15 minutes. You know, so if it costs a hundred bucks, is a, is fifteen minutes worth your hundred dollars? Right, and a, another article I found here said that uh, one that they're planning on doing in New York would be two hundred. And let's see, it would it would save an hour of travel time uh, to becoming an eight minute flight. Is that worth two hundred bucks to most people? I I, I mean, <laughs> to to the wealthy elite, sure, that, it's dropping the bucket to them. But right. like, that must for, be going for the from... average guy. Uh, for the average user, I, I don't know how how cost effective that is, or how how, uh, how useful it will be. Those flights must be going from the Hamptons to Lower Manhattan and back, and that's the only right. two, <laughs> <laughs> the, the only two places that they go. So that's very interesting. Um, I, I 
again, that's something that when I look at it, it's I'm super intrigued by it. I'm rooting for it, uh, but I would not want to be on the front end of testing that. Uh, one 1-877-MPB ring is the number one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Wilbur up first, who's calling from Hattiesburg. Wilbur, thanks for calling in. Uh, certainly. How are you guys? Excellent. Thanks for calling, man. Uh, I have a question about hard drive um, longevity. I guess All right. I use a uh, uh, like a snap server, a Buffalo server, a uh, file huh? server, basically. And uh, I've got five three terabytes, uh, no, six three terabyte drives in it. And I've got it stri- uh, striped RAID 6, so two drives could possibly, one drive could go down, two could go down, and I'd still be okay to rebuild it. Um, yeah. Two of the drives that have been in there have been in there for five years. That's when I bought the thing. And it's used a lot. So I've already had four drives go down. Okay. Uh, I, I don't see anything, like I haven't noticed any performance stuttering or anything like that. Now, I do have the ability with the server to uh, look at the SMART, the smart stats on the sure. drives. Huh? Is there anything I should look at that would let me know, hey, drive's about to fail? Um, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to preemptively... I know it's like five years for a hard drive. This system that shoots is fairly great. I mean, in fact, give me four or more of those that, I, that were in there, and I'll put them back Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Uh, right. But it's like, you know, I, I need to, I was like, you know, I want to preemptively find something because I would hate to be, you know, Friday afternoon about to go over the weekend, and then, bam, you know, have to rebuild everything, hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So, so a smart test is basically going to tell you when the drive has failed to write or when there's bad sectors on the drive. So when you start seeing uh, consistent uh, inability to write properly, then it, you're looking at potentially uh, a failing drive. But as far as the longevity goes, uh, there's really not a, a set rule. I mean, it always depends on the quality of the drive as well as you know if, if they're properly ventilated and so forth. They should last a very long time. Like you said, you've had two that have lasted five years. Um, the only thing I recommend when it comes to uh, the longevity of drives is always the quality that you get. Um, if you've got them in a Buffalo server, then you've got like some type of server quality drive that is, is made for consistent writing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as long as you've got that type of drive, uh, which would be like a WD Red or something like that, uh, those, I believe, have a two-year warranty on them? Uh, let me see. Um either two or five year warranty and those are those are just made for that type of application um i would just let them go until they die since you've got a six drive set up anyways and you can afford to do that okay uh would it be worth it to replace them with uh, solid states uh, okay, all right. So uh, the red comes with a five-year warranty. Um, replacing them with solid state is going to be expensive, and solid state is really not the best kind of drive that you want to use for that application because solid state has a specific number of write cycles, and then it dies. So I would not recommend solid state for that application. I would say especially because the cost of hard drives versus the amount of storage that you get out of them is very, very cost-effective right now. I don't think they've ever been cheaper. Um, right. I would keep going with hard disk drives. Okay. Uh, 
Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wilbur, we, th- we appreciate the call from uh, Hattiesburg today. You can call us up with your uh, questions, problems, comments uh, about uh, anything in your tech life. One eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Kate is next in Ocean Springs. Kate, good morning. Thanks for calling in. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to speak to the whole idea of fly uh, share uh, and the safety of it. Um, ride share is, is, it has problems, but it's majorly successful. It's a great alternative to mass transit while still being kind of ma- mass transit. I think that some company will come up with uh, fly share, and it'll just be that much more convenient for people to get around and share their rides. Now, as far as safety with fly share, uh, as for, my understanding is that different uh, size aircraft fly at different altitudes. And so these fly share aircrafts would be probably the lowest on the, on the uh, range. And so they wouldn't be in competition or near, you know, major airlines and things like that. So there's a way of working around these safety issues. It's kind of like when man went from horses to cars. <laughs> uh, people were like, oh, we don't know how safe that is. Well, we'll work out the safety stuff, and I'm just all for it. I'm really excited about it. Great to hear about it on your radio show. All right, so where on the Gulf Coast uh, would you put, or not necessarily Gulf Coast, but around Ocean Springs or Jackson County, would you put the first route for uh, an Uber Air uh, route? Well, I think connecting uh, – uh, the coast with the capital of Jackson, that's that Highway 49. But I wouldn't limit myself to just Mississippi. I think uh, people on the coast like to go to Mobile. They like to go to New Orleans and, of course, Jackson, New Orleans, Jackson, Mississippi, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to Birmingham. I mean, this is such an exciting idea, uh, and I don't think it would necessarily be limited to a certain state. Right, and but I mean, thinking of it in those terms, I mean, you've basically got interstate routes that are already kind of cut out you know, with space above yeah, them. Yeah, but, so. but it's so much more time uh, for people who have to get there quickly and who don't mind flying with you know four or five other people sure. on a low flying aircraft. Uh, no, I mean, there there are routes already laid out that they can you know adjust their flights to. Basically, they don't have to work on infrastructure because it's kind of already laid out the the routes that they can take. Well, uh, fly, this whole idea of ride share and fly share, it's kind of like getting beyond, uh, the, the airline, the major airlines. It's just for, like, super local, uh, people to get there faster. And it's, it's really, it can be made very safe. So people shouldn't be afraid of it. And one day, one company is going to come up with it and it's going to take off the same way Uber and Lyft did. All right. Kate, thank you so much for your call this morning. Great call. And uh, that company will probably be Google, I'm just guessing. Probably. (laughs) Or Facebook. Facebook will do it somehow or another, right? There you go. (laughs) Uh, Jay White and uh, Jeremy, while you guys were talking, I looked online, and um, you can actually, like, look inside of the Uber Air cabins, which they kind of do look like the helicopters. If you ever seen the, you know, the, in New York, you can take the helicopter ride from one section of the city to the other. Yeah. And it's basically what it is. But in that Uber, you know, type of style. 
<laughs> All right. So it doesn't look like the Jetsons flying. No, See, not, that's the first thing I thought. Uh, not yet. Well, it kind of it, it has a futuristic look to it. That, the, <laughs> the, 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 the image that I came across looks like, uh, I don't know, something out of Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, right. It's pretty whack. It's got like a, a, a propeller on the back of it, and then it's got like uh, – well, uh, yeah, I guess those are propellers too. So it's it's not a helicopter, but it's sort of like one. Yeah, I'm well, gonna post a picture of it on our Facebook page. Interesting. Well, Astro can't come on, I'm sure, at least for a little while, anyway. Ruh-roh. All right. <laughs> All right. So uh, another story that uh, caught my attention this week: um, India said on Wednesday that it will launch its second lunar mission in mid-July as it moves to consolidate its status as a leader in space technology by achieving a controlled landing on the moon. Um, I think when you think about uh, people landing on the moon, you think about maybe the space race back when uh, the, the, the United States and the Soviet Union were battling back and forth and you know, more recently now, it's like we're almost, you know, we're renting spots on rockets to to celebrities <laughs> to go to the moon and back. But uh, I don't know if I would have necessarily thought that India would be like out of them, China, maybe, or Japan or something like that. Not that I'm trying to, you know, typecast or stereotype any kind of country, but India uh, next to the moon. Pretty interesting, huh? Very interesting. I mean, also, uh, not not my first guess. Right. It would have been mine either. Of course, a, a bazillion people live there. So, um, you know, they, they, they have the means to do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just never, I don't know, maybe it's because it's on the other side of the world. You don't hear about their technology, uh, technological advances or, or, or what their you know, plans are, what they're involved in in the news really over here ever, but that is interesting to see that, uh, uh, they're, they're next up and they're serious about it. So I don't know. I think, I think it's pretty interesting. It, it's not really a race or a competition anymore. So, you know, the more people who have the means to go up there and gather information and, and, and help science along the better, right? Absolutely. And this will be, uh, used to upgrade their, their infrastructure and their technology as well. I'm sure they're going to be launching lots of other things into space once they get to the moon. And so, as it says here, um, uh, the mission, if if successful, would make India the fourth country behind the United States, Russia, and China to perform a soft landing on the moon and put a rover on it. Uh, China did so in January. So, uh, um, very interesting, because you had two for the longest time, and now, what, here in six months, you'll have two new countries land on the moon. That's pretty exciting. Let's go to the let's go to the phones. Um, you can call us one eight seven seven MPB ring. Let's go to uh, Dean, who is in Snow Lake. Dean, what's going on? Hey, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a Samsung S five, and I use it for a Wi Fi hotspot in my house. And either on the phone itself or as a hotspot, it is agonizingly slow. And I'm just wondering, is this a function because AT and T just sucks out here in the country, or? Uh, there's some settings I should change on my phone, or I just need to perhaps look at getting a computer that's got a uh, Windows uh, 7 and a whatever the Samsung S5 is out. I think it's on Nougat right now. I mean, I, I kind of think uh, the phone company's building obsolescence in these phones, so I just want to hear your opinion on this, what I can do. Well, that is still a 4G phone, uh, so it should not be slow when you tether. However, depending on your location, it may cut down to uh, 3G speeds, which will be excruciatingly slow, and that sounds like exactly what's happening. 
Now, with most AT&T plans, you do, they claim that you have unlimited data, uh, but then once you've used about, I think it's like 20-something gigs, they move you over to the slow lane. Is it possible that you've already consumed that amount of data and they have moved you to the slow lane? Well, that, that's a good question, and uh, the most I've ever used in a given month is like 7 gigs. Cause I don't watch movies. I mean, I do my, my, my business online. I do queries online. I buy stuff online, and all that's pretty cut and dry. It's not like that chews up a huge amount of data. So I'm just wondering if it's the you know, AT&T where I'm at. We're out in the country, and, and I'm sure you know, we don't have anything close to T1 speeds out here, although I've never run a speed test on this thing. Well, you can run a speed test on your phone. You can download the speed test app. Just go to the app store and look up speed test. Um, that will tell you you know what what speeds you're operating with uh your your 3g speeds are going to be uh under 10 megabits per second anything over that should be pretty decent um i I can do a speed test on my own phone and i can get somewhere around 80 megs per second here in hattiesburg so it's it's not just uh at&t's infrastructure it's either that your plan is being throttled uh either they do not want you to tether uh, or you may just be at the limit of your plan, and then they have moved you over to the 3G. So there'll be nothing in my settings on the phone itself or on my uh, laptop I can change it much? Shouldn't be. Um, I would go and do the speed test, and then okay. um, uh, if you want, you can get back with us, send us an email, and let us know what that speed test was. It's everydaytech at mpbonline.org. And we'd be more than happy to follow up with you on that and see if there's anything else that we could suggest. Dean, man, we appreciate the call this morning. I don't know. I would I would think that it might be that they're trying to push him along to a little bit later uh, or more modern technology because Snow Lake, by the way, it sounds incredibly peaceful and awesome out there this morning. But its proximity to Interstate 22, I would think, would have him in decent shape in terms of of being able to to draw a signal out there, at least, right. you know, my thought anyway, I mean, being close well, to a U.S. interstate, fairly see, close. See, I anyway. had an S5, and I used to tether it all the time because, you know, I go to customers' houses where I have no connection. So um, I had no issues with that. So either it's something with the phone or it's his connection is being throttled or it's just not a strong enough connection. All right, that will do it for us today. Uh, my thanks to, to Jeremy Thompson for being with us this morning. Wiltz will be back in next week. Today's show was engineered by DJ Java. The call screener today, DJ Java. And everything else that had to do with anything that made the show work, DJ Java. Java. That's it. Yeah. Stay tuned. Coming up next is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. We will see you here next week, Wednesday, 10 o'clock, Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio.